All right. Good morning, Solomon Point Church. It's great to see you guys here. I'm glad you made it here this morning. Um, happy October. We're in October now. The fall, the California fall, fall is settling in. Those of you guys that are maybe from other states know we don't really have fall here, but it gets down to the low 70s. So all of us native Californians get our sweaters out and we're pumped. We're ready to go for this fall season, even though it doesn't really happen, but it's all good. We got to adjust to the climate, right? So in the season of fall in October, people like to talk about some scary stuff. People celebrate a holiday called Halloween, and they like to dress up and, and celebrate some different kind of scary stuff like demons and, and ghosts and things like that. And today I'm not going to preach on exorcism or, or demons or anything like that, but I did want to preach on the scariest verse, what I think is the scariest verse in the Bible. Now that's actually what I titled the message this morning, the scariest verse in the Bible. It's not a verse about a scary storm. It's not about sickness or death. It's not about casting out a demon. It's not a story about witchcraft or sorcery or wizardry. The scariest verse in the Bible, I think, is scary because it could be about you. It's scary because it's about people who really we could say were in the church, people that were faithful to even attending church. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But I want to give you guys some context for this passage we're looking at this morning. It's in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. And in the context here, Jesus is wrapping up what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And this is Jesus's big sermon, the biggest sermon that we have from Jesus in Scripture. There's a lot of great lessons in there about what it means to be a follower of him. And as he's closing out his sermon, he starts to give some different parallels. One of them is a wide gate that leads to destruction. And another one is a narrow way that leads to eternal life. Another parallel, he talks about good prophets that bear good fruit, true prophets. And he talks about false prophets that don't bear true fruit, that don't speak words that match what the Word of God says. He talks about uh, a man who built his house on the sand and how he reaped the consequences of that, and a man who built a house on a rock and how he reaped the benefits of that. So Jesus is giving these parallels in this context. If I was to summarize, summarize this context, what we hear is he's closing the Sermon on the Mount to these people. Jesus is telling them that if they want to follow him, if they truly want to be called a follower of Jesus, they have to be all in. He's setting the stage here. He's saying this is an all-in or all-out situation. You either build your house on the sand or you build your house on the rock that is me. That is my word. You either go through the narrow gate that leads to eternal life or you go through the wide gate that leads to destruction. You have to make a choice to be all-in on a following me, following Jesus, or all-out. So that's the context of the verses that we're looking at here this morning in Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, we're not necessarily looking at a story. It's really more of just a scene. It's just a scene of people facing God, perhaps on the day of judgment, and they thought that they were all in on their faith. But the truth is, they were actually all out. They were not truly followers of Jesus. I want to start out by just reading the three verses in, in whole for you guys this morning. Verse 21 says, Not everyone, this is Jesus talking, 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I want to start out by focusing in just on verse 21. Jesus is saying, not everyone who comes and says to me, Lord, Lord, there's an emphasis there, Lord, Lord, like they're really saying it. There's some passion there. There's some perhaps emotion there. Not everyone who says that will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The first point, if you're following along in your notes this morning, is there's a difference between saying and confessing. A difference between saying and confessing. Confession involves belief in spiritual transformation. Somebody can say that Jesus is Lord and not go to heaven. We see this right here. Someone can say that. Romans chapter 10 says that whoever confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so confession means I'm not just saying something with my mouth. No, it doesn't say you say that Jesus is Lord. You confess. There's a belief that goes along with that because I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead and that's how you can be saved. You, you have to confess it, but also believe it and believe the application that comes with that in your life. Confess that what Jesus did, dying on the cross for your sins, raising from the grave is enough to save you and you trust in him for that. But these people that we see here, they say that Jesus is Lord, but they never confess that Jesus is Lord. And in fact, their lives even look like they confess Jesus is Lord, but they never truly did that. They're hypocrites. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, went to the kingdom of heaven, but only the ones that do the will of the Father. What's hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is saying something and then doing what? Something else. So they say Jesus is Lord, but they don't do the will of the Father. This is hypocrisy. I read the story about a Korean Airlines flight, uh, KE-007. It was a commercial airline where there's 240 innocent passengers just taking a flight. And this Korean airplane was flying through Soviet airspace. And there's a trigger man there. His name was Major Osipovich, and he was a pilot that wasn't originally scheduled to be on the air. In fact, at that time, he was scheduled to be preparing for a speech that he was going to give to his daughter's school about peace. And so he gets called in to work at this time, and they shoot down this plane full of 240 innocent passengers. And the man that shot them down was the same man that was going to teach his daughter's school children about peace. Hypocrisy is saying one thing and doing something completely different. You know, it's easy to say what's right. It's much harder to do it. It's much harder to do it when the time calls for you to follow the will of the Father. Not everyone who says, Lord, will go to heaven. Not only the people that say it, but the people that believe it, confess it, live it as a result of that belief and confession. Kenneth Clark 
internationally known for his television series, Civilization, he lived and died without faith in Jesus Christ. And in his autobiography, he, he visited this beautiful church and he had what he felt was an overwhelming religious experience. And he described it by saying, my whole being was irradiated by a kind of heavenly joy, far more intense than anything I had known before. But the gloom of grace, as he described it, created a problem. Because he realized if he allowed himself, if he allowed himself to become a follower of Jesus, he would have to change. He would have to submit his life, surrender his life to the Lord. His family might think he lost his mind. Maybe that intense joy or experience that he felt in that moment would prove to be an illusion later on. And so he says, I was too deeply embedded in the world to change course. A lot of people never truly give their life to Christ because they don't want to do God's will. But what's scarier than that, I think, is a lot of people say they give their life to Jesus and think they give their life to Jesus, but they still don't want to do God's will. They just want to live for themselves. And it's evidence that they never gave their life to Jesus in the first place because they're relying on themselves and their works and their way. So if I say Jesus is Lord, but I do it, live life according to my own will and my own ways, I'm saying it with my lips, but not with my heart or with my life. And some professing Christians are too embedded in the world to actually want to obey Jesus. They want to look just enough like the world so they're comfortable in the world, and then just enough like Jesus so they're comfortable at church. But if that's you, are you really comfortable anywhere? Can you really be comfortable anywhere if you're not a consistent person? If you're not consistently like, I'm a follower of Jesus, that's what I'm all about, or I'm not, and that's what I'm all about. Jesus said, this is an all-in or all-out deal. This is an all-or-nothing deal. Hypocrisy is dangerous. And I would say this is scary because we can fool others. But the scary thing is we can even fool ourselves into thinking that what we have is genuine. And to thinking that we have a genuine saving faith in God when that's not truly what we have. How do you test if what you have is genuine? You can look at the desires of your heart and the reason for those desires. Do you love God? Do you want to serve God? The Bible says there is no one who seeks God that are dead in their sins. That's Romans 3. And so if you have a love for God, if you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, that he died for your sins, you believe this, you confess that he is Lord, you submit your life to him, then you can have confidence that you will be saved. And your confidence is not based on yourself, but based on Christ who saved you. As a believer, you can have this blessed hope, this blessed assurance. But they did not have this blessed hope or this blessed assurance because they didn't trust in Jesus for their salvation. They trusted in themselves. Verse 22, Jesus continues and he says, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? Here's the next point this morning. We didn't make the cut even on our best days. We didn't make the cut. The things they're describing here are amazing things. Didn't we prophesy? We casted out demons. Like, I don't know about you guys, I've never casted out a demon before. I met some crazy animals, but like, I never <laughs> casted out a demon out of anything. Some cats though, I gotta say, I don't know. I'm a dog person. But anyways, <laughs> they're doing amazing things, mighty works. 
in the name of Jesus. And this is their hope. Their hope is in what they did. Their hope is not in what Jesus did. I want you to think about this. Hypothetically, if you were to die today, and God was to ask you, you, you approach him in his throne room as, as the mighty judge, and God says, why should I let you into heaven? What would your knee-jerk reaction be? Maybe you've been a Christian for years, and you've heard time and time again, justification by faith. But honestly, what is your knee-jerk reaction? What would you say to God? For these people, they immediately referenced, I prophesied, I cast out demons, I performed mighty works. This is why you should let me in. I went to church. I read my Bible. I went on a mission trip one time. I did the right things. I took my kids to church. I tithed. They deceived themselves into thinking they were good enough. And I think oftentimes we can deceive ourselves into thinking that we are good enough. Because there's only one road to heaven. There's a lot of roads to hell. There's a lot of roads to hell. And a lot of them, in fact, most of them, look very similar to the road to heaven. Their lifestyle, I mean, if you look at them, you see someone preaching, you see someone casting out demons, you'll think, wow, that person, they're going to heaven, they believe in Jesus. But clearly they're relying on themselves and their own works and they're not relying on Christ and his work. And Jesus says, depart from me. There's no formula of stuff you can do to go to heaven. This makes Christianity different from every other religion. The Christ of Christianity is different from the Christ of every other religion. Because every other religion says, I need to earn my way to God. I need to earn God's favor. Christianity says, the Bible teaches, I need to receive God's favor. Because I couldn't do it. I couldn't make it. God is too holy and I'm too sinful. Every religion, you make your way to God. Scripture says God made his way to you. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh. That's John 1. Dwelt among us. God himself dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. He died on the cross for our sins. He overcame everything for us. And so there's no formula that we can do to get to heaven because we couldn't do it ourselves. I think one of the great evidences for this is the thief on the cross. When Jesus was dying on the cross, you see this beautiful scene and and, and these, these criminals were jeering at him. But at some point, the, one of the criminals turns to Jesus and he has a change of heart. And he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says to him, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Dwight Moody said the thief had no nails through both hands. He had nails through both hands so that he could not work. He had a nail through each foot so that he could not run errands for the Lord. He could not lift a hand or a foot toward his salvation, and yet Christ offered him the gift of God, and he took it. Christ threw him a passport and took him into paradise. This was a criminal. He was crucified. He did something really bad. He didn't live for God his whole life. Yet at the very end, God worked a miracle in his heart. And he said, Lord, he didn't say, Lord, I know I'm on the cross right now, but remember I did this good thing over here this one time. He didn't say, Lord, I know I'm on the cross right now, but I got baptized a long time ago. Lord, I'm on the cross right now, but I went to, temp- I w- I went to the, the temple, the Jewish temple a couple times. 
He said, Lord, just remember me. Just remember me. Remember in this moment I had faith in you. And Jesus said, I'm going to remember you. Whereas these other people, Jesus said, I never knew you. To this thief on the cross that did no good works. He could not lift a hand to heaven. Jesus said, I'm going to remember you because you trusted in me. Matthew 7, verse 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Next point this morning is to get real with God. They're hypocrites. They say one thing and do another thing. The way to defeat hypocrisy is with honesty. It's with reality. It's getting real with yourself, getting real with God, acknowledging truly where you are. That's how you get the fake hypocrisy out of your life. They thought that they had something that was real. They thought that they had something that was genuine. But on the day of judgment, when they had to give a reckoning for their sin... Their works were not enough to save them. It was not enough. What they had all along was actually fake. There's a book called The Pilgrim's Progress. Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you haven't. I'll tell you about it. Um, the Pilgrim's Progress. When the printing press was first made, there were two books that sold a lot. Uh, one was the Bible. The other one was The Pilgrim's Progress. And The Pilgrim's Progress is a story written by John Bunyan. He was a preacher back in the Puritan era while he was in prison. And it's an allegory. It's a fictional story. It's not scripture. It's not the inerrant word of God. But it's a fictional story that describes the Christian life. And so he tells a story of a man named Christian. It's a beautiful book. A man named Christian that has to travel from a place called the City of Destruction. And while Christian is in the city of destruction, that's where he's from, that's where he lives, an evangelist, a character named Evangelist, comes to him and tells him about this place called the Celestial City, which represents heaven. And so Christian hears about the Celestial City, hears about eternal life found in Christ, and, and the guy tells him, you got to find, you got to go to the narrow wicked gate, like Jesus said, the narrow way. And he's, he's running away from the city of destruction, and even his family is calling him back saying, don't go. Stay with us here in the city of destruction. And he cries out as he's running away with his fingers in his ears, life, life, eternal life. And he runs to the wicked gate. And he gets there. He becomes a Christian. And he begins his Christian journey. Because it's just, just, our life doesn't just end at conversion, right? That's really where it begins. That's where it begins. And so he begins his walk with Christ because he has a mission. All Christians have a mission. And as he's going on this mission, he meets a companion named Hopeful, and Hopeful is walking with him as well. They face all these different trials and, and things like that. And as they're walking along this path, making their way to the celestial city, someone comes alongside them on this path, and his name is Ignorance. So we pick up the story here. Ignorance comes up, and Christian asks him where he comes from. And Ignorance says, Sir, I was born in the country that lieth of here a little on the left hand, and I'm going to the celestial city. And Christian says, but how do you think you're going to get in at the gate? You might find some difficulty there. Ignorance replied, as other good people do. I'm going to get into the gate just like other good people get into the gate. And then Christian says, well, what do you have to show at the gate that may cause the gate to be open to you? 
He said, I know my Lord's will, ignorance said, that I have lived a good life. I pay every man his own. I pray, I fast, I pay tithes, I give alms. I've left my country for where I'm going. And then Christian said, but you didn't come in at the wicked gate that is the head of this way. You came in through the crooked lane. Therefore, I fear whatever you may think of yourself, when the reckoning day shall come, you will have to lay charge that you are a thief and a robber instead of getting admitted into the city. Ignorance replied, gentlemen, you're strangers to me. I don't know you. Be content to follow the religion of your country. I'll follow the religion of mine, and I hope all will be well. There's a little bit of postmodernism sprinkled in there. Follow your religion, I'll follow mine. I hope I'll be okay. Saying, what will you give an account for? You didn't come in by the narrow gate. Jesus said the way is narrow. You came in another way. How do you give an account for what you've done wrong? He said, I'll get into heaven just like other good people get into heaven. These people that we're looking at here in Matthew 21 through 23, by our standards, we could call them good people by our standards. God says there's no one's good. We have all fallen. But by our standards, we'd say this is a good person, comparing them to us, not to God. Fast forward in the story. Christian and Hopeful finally make it to the celestial city, and there's this beautiful scene that the narrator is describing. As the gates were opened to let in the men, I looked after them. Behold, the city shone like the sun. The streets were also paved with gold. In them walked many men with crowns on their heads, palms in their hands, and golden harps to sing praises withal. There were also of them that had wings, and they answered one to another without intermission, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And after that, they shut up the gates, which when I had seen, I wished myself among them. Now I was gazing upon all these things. I turned my head to look back, and I saw ignorance come up to the riverside. But he got over without half the difficulty the other men had. For it happened that there was in that place one vain hope, a fairy man. So there's a fairy man named Vain Hope that helped him over this river to get to the gate. He said, I hope all will be well. But putting his hope in himself was nothing was nothing but vanity. And I saw that he ascended the hill. He came up to the gate by himself. He looked up to the writing that was above, began to knock, supposing that the entrance should be quickly administered to him. But he was asked by the men that looked over the top of the gate, where'd you come from? What would you have? He answered, I have eaten and drank in the presence of the king. He has taught in our streets. And then they asked him for a certificate that they might go in and show it to the king. So he fumbled in his bosom for one, but found none. Then they said, have you none? But the man answered never a word. So they told the king, and he would not come down to see him, but commanded the two shining ones that conducted Christian and Hopeful into the city to go out, take ignorance, bind him hand and foot, and have him away. And they took him up, carried him through the air, and to the door I saw in the side of the hill, and put him in there. And I saw that there is a way to hell, even from the gates of heaven, as well as from the city of destruction. Now there's a lot of deep, rich theology. Again, it's a fictional story. It's not the inerrant word of God, but I think it does describe some things that we believe in a good way. Ignorance thinks I can make it my way. When we look at Matthew chapter 7, these people are ignorant. They think that their good works are enough to get them there, that they can take their way. It looks just enough like the right way to heaven. 
They lived life on the outskirts of heaven, but they never got to go in. They never got to go in and taste and see the goodness of the Lord. Last week, Pastor Elijah talked about the prodigal son. And in the story of the prodigal son, you have the prodigal son, and then you also have the self-righteous son. I want you guys to imagine with me for a moment. So we have these two mats here up on stage, and we have this little space between them. I want you to imagine for a moment that this space represents our sin. This space rep- represents that which, rep- which separates us from the holy and perfect God. Now, when we look at the story of the prodigal son, from our point of view, the prodigal son, he ran so far away. He blew all his cash. I mean, we would say, if this is where God is, he was like way over here, right? Prodigal son, he ran so far. And then the self-righteous son, he remained by the father's side close enough. But we know he never really took that step. The prodigal son, he went in just a moment from here all the way over here. He crossed the divide that is the sin that separates it from God through faith. He crossed that divide through faith. When he came to the father, he said, I'm unworthy to be called your son. I'm begging you to take me back. He didn't say, I am worthy. I traveled all this way, take me back. He said, I'm unworthy. And he cast himself upon the mercy of his father. And his father embraced him and forgave him. Whereas a self-righteous son, he stayed right here. He wasn't as far as the prodigal son. But he wasn't in that relationship, that saving relationship with God. And the story that we're looking at with these people, they live their life right here. Just close enough to God so it appears that they are saved, but not far enough from God so it doesn't look like they're not saved. They live their life right here. Relying on themselves. Relying on their own self-righteousness. They never humble themselves to run to the Father and say, I'm not worthy to be called your son or daughter. Take that step of faith and cast himself saying, I just need the grace of God in my life to save me because I tried to do it and I couldn't make it. This is how far you can get. This is how far your righteousness can get you. It's right here. It can't get you across the divide. And this is just a tiny space we have here between these mats. But truly the divide of our sin between us and God is immeasurable. And your self-righteousness can get you up to the shore, but, you, but it cannot get you across the ocean. Only the grace of God and faith in Jesus Christ can do that. And when you humble yourself before God and you say, Lord, I give up. I can't do this anymore. I try to earn my way. I need you. I need your salvation. And you trust in the work of Christ instead of your works in an act of faith. In that moment, God saves you. In a moment, your life is transformed forever. In a moment, you go from darkness to light, from death to life. But it only happens when you choose to cross that divide by faith. By faith alone. In Christ alone. Frank Sinatra once said, I traveled each and every highway, and more, much more, I did it. I did it my way. You know, there's no one in in heaven saying, I did it my way. This is how far your way will get you. Only God's way can get you across the divide. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's John 14, 6. Only God's way can get you to heaven.
And just a quick, quick thing here. It's not God's way plus your way. It's not Jesus plus everything that I do. It's just Jesus. We are talking about formulas earlier. They couldn't form, they wanted to formulate, oh, we prophesied, we cast out demons, we did mighty works. This is the formula that we did to make it to heaven, to be in your presence, Jesus. And Jesus said, I never knew you. I never knew you. If you want to make a formula out of this, it's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. That's it. The work of Christ is enough. And if you say it's not enough, if you say you need Jesus plus what your works is, what you're doing there is you're saying what Jesus did isn't enough. You're minimizing the work of Christ on the cross. Jesus said it is finished. He didn't say to be continued. It is paid in full. But these fools, as they are ignorant, trusting in their own goodness for salvation, they fooled themselves. And that's what's scary. You can fool everyone, even yourselves, but you can't fool God. God sees right through your hypocrisy and it breaks his heart. As I'm reading this passage, I see Jesus says, depart from me, for I never knew you. I mean, these were guys that presumably tried really hard to keep the law. But Jesus calls them workers of lawlessness. Jesus says, I never knew you. I can almost hear the, the pain. I never knew you. You wanted to get to me, but I just wanted to know you. That's all, that's all I ask is a relationship with you. Just for you to trust in me and my goodness, not rely on your goodness. There's a lot of ways to have a fake relationship with God. There's only one way to have a real one. Romans chapter three, verse 28. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. There are a lot of verses that say the same thing. I just picked one out. We could, there's a lot. Romans 3.28. The last point this morning is I can only know God through faith in Christ. Christian said to ignorance, how will you give a reckoning on the day of judgment for what you've done wrong? I know you made it to the gates of heaven, but how are you going to account that you were a thief, that you were a robber, that you lusted, that you gossiped, that you lied? How do you give an account for those things? And lots of people say, well, God knows my intention. God, God understands me. So if I'm in the courtroom of God on judgment day, God's going to weigh my good intentions and my bad ones. And he's going he's to let me off. God knows. Look, here's the deal. Nobody ever got called into a courtroom because they were suspected of doing something good. Right? That's like basic logic there. That's, that's just how courtrooms work. If you are before the judgment throne of God, it's, you're not there because you're suspected of doing something good. You're there because you did something wrong. How do you make a reckoning for what you've done wrong? You're going to be like ignorance and say, just as other good people do, just as other prophets prophets do, people who prophesy, people who cast out demons and do mighty works. I would make it to heaven just like they do, but we see they don't. He calls these people workers of lawlessness, which is interesting to me because they presumably tried to keep the law. Like they were probably pretty decent people. If we looked at them, we'd think that's a good person, but they were called workers of lawlessness. Just like I said earlier, this separates Christianity from every other religion. God made his way to us because we could not make our way to him. But we have to respond in faith. 
We have to respond in faith. I want to do an illustration for you guys real quick about faith, about what it means to really respond to Christ in faith. And so I could say I have faith in this chair, that this chair is going to support me if I sit down on it. And I'm 99% sure it will. <laughs> That'd be funny if like I'm doing this illustration, it just breaks. I mean, what are the odds, right? But I have faith this chair is, is going to support me. But what if I say I have faith in this chair, but then you see me sit down on this chair and I'm doing this thing. I'm holding on to something else. I'm holding on to something else to support me. And even if I sit in the chair, I'm still bearing my weight on something else. As long as, you have fit, as long as you're holding on to your good deeds, you can't ever really trust in Jesus. Because I'm not fully trusting in this chair. I'm also trusting in this right here, which is my good deeds and my good works. Jesus plus works. Or maybe just my works alone. And a lot of people, they live their life like this. They say, I, I trust in Jesus. I say Jesus is Lord. But this is what they really do. They do this. I'm not sitting in this chair, just so you know. It looks like I'm sitting in this chair, maybe for some angles. Maybe not if you're over there, but maybe if you're right here. I'm not. I'm going to feel the burn a little bit. <laughs> so they, they do this, though. I trust in Jesus. But I also trust, like, I'm, I'm good enough. I can do this. And they work. And over time they get weak, burdened, legs shaking. But they never repent and put their faith in Christ. They still want to rely on themselves. Because as long as I do this, I'm relying on my strength right now. I'm not relying on the strength of the chair. I'm not relying on the goodness of the chair that I'd like to enjoy at this moment. I'm relying on me, my goodness, my ability. Jesus says to sinners that are burnt out and worn out, from trying to do this. He said, you want to know me? You want salvation? You want eternal life? Come to me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God just wants to know you. There's no striving. There's just abiding. Just abiding in him. That's the only way you can find salvation. So then on the day of judgment, when, when you come to Christ, He's not going to say, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. He'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because the only thing that can justify you before God is your faith, belief, and what Jesus did for you. Only the work of Christ can save you. Jesus said to them, depart from me, for I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. And that's all I ever wanted. And that's all he wants now. You know, God makes it so easy. The gospel's so simple. We just make it so hard. But God made it easy. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Put your faith in Jesus Christ, the God who became a man. God himself bore our sins, bore his own wrath, so we can be in a relationship with him. Do you know him? Do you have that blessed hope, that blessed assurance of salvation? To stand before God in confidence and say, I have nothing. I have nothing that I can offer you for my life. All my righteousness is filthy rags. The only thing that justifies me before a holy God is the work of Jesus Christ and what he did for me. That is it. It's Jesus plus nothing. Do you know him? Can you guys bow your heads with me in an attitude of prayer? And if you've been trying, I don't care if you've, if you've gone to church your whole life, 
or this is your first time ever going to a church, have you trusted in Jesus for your salvation? Not Jesus plus works, not Jesus plus anything. Have you just trusted in Christ alone? Have you trusted in God's way for you, not your way for you? You can do that today. You can pray something just like this even now. God, please forgive me for my sins. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. I believe that he rose from the grave and I confess that he is the Lord of my life. I, su I surrender. I surrender my life to you. I want to follow you for the rest of my days. I want to abide in you and rest in you and trust in you. God, I pray for anyone in this room this morning that doesn't know you. God, that they would just give up trying to do it themselves and just sit down and rest in you. Just know you, because that's all you ever wanted from us. God, that we would rely on the work of Christ for our salvation and nothing else, because that is the only thing that can save. God, we thank you that you are so good and so gracious to give us a way to know you, to give us a way to have that relationship with you. God, I pray for the Christians this morning that have drifted from you, that they would know that they can come back, that your grace is still there. They can cast themselves upon your mercy, your overflowing grace. God, for those that are not Christians this morning, that they would put their faith in you, that they would turn from their sins and trust in Jesus for their salvation. God, we pray all this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen.